Hi everyone, welcome to Sumeria's Harem. This is Sumeria Varin Gill and this is my podcast on all things sexual, spiritual, love, relationships and all else that we should be talking about a lot more that we do not talk enough about. As you all know, I am a certified sex and relationships coach. I do all kinds of energy psychology work, womb work and I have two amazing guests lined up for you today. My guests today are Dr. Saida Desile. Dr. Saida is... All right. Well, I am a lover of life and a lover of things beautiful and erotic, uh, doing that through a very connected, aligned self. And my research is always based on the embodiment of sexuality, pleasure, desire, and the things that get in the way of that and what we can do to to flower open with integrity and at the speed that works for our own bodies and psyche. And, <laughs> and I, uh, well, I have several aspects of me. One, one part is my nerdy part, and this has to do with me looking at embodiment from a cognitive scientific perspective, which is what my master's is in. And then there is my professional background, which has been working with different ways of coaching in the field of love, romance, pickup, long-term committed relationships, working with individuals as well as couples. And then there is just my passion. And that is really to bring another aspect of um, beauty to, to penetration specifically, because I think that that's something that we have left out. And that is where a big aspect of my methodology of working with people, and that's suction sex. Thank you. That is radical. What you both are doing, there's only one word that I can describe it. I think my, my listeners would agree. So my listeners are primarily in Southeast Asia. And we do not see sex explained and experienced the way you both do. Erin, you're also the founder of the Instagram, Instagram page Suction Sex, which is fabulous stuff. What would you describe your partnership? So, you know, you, you both get into sexual positions that teach others. And it is, it's so amazing to watch this connection that you both have, which is not a romantic one. Yes. So we, uh, we are a mission-based um, relationship. It involves many different facets, but specifically always driven toward um, a shared mission and intention. It's been difficult in the past for myself. I'll just speak for myself. Having been born on mission and then trying to have relationships on this subject matter, it's been very difficult for partners. So to find somebody where they're not only turned on by it, but actually it's aligned to their own mission has been quite an uh, let's say a vocational arousal and also just a deepening of the wisdom and embodiment that I do have myself, uh, both personally and also professionally. So I really love having met Erin and everything we're co-creating feels like it's having very significant impact, positive impact for people of all ages, all backgrounds. And so I really treasure the connection. <clears throat> I would also reflect that as well, the uniqueness of being able to have a common mission. And as we begin to craft bespoke, 
programs uh, internationally for singles as well as couples, one of the things that we've really been looking at is, well, what is the why? And what we've come to is really how can we bring playfulness, beauty, and art back to the act of sex as well as intimacy in relationships so that this can become an area <clears throat> that generates life force focus and bonding for couples but as well as uh, people as they begin to discover themselves and it's been a beautiful journey as we've got to do different things such as speaking to groups that are from different parts of the world that all have different challenges uh, such as here in South Africa we've recently been talking with the Department of Justice and really looking at the relationship of sexual dysfunction with epigenetics and how people can start to create shifts in their own lives and relationships. And that's just one of the many adventures, but I give that as an example of a, a shared mission-based project that has kind of landed in our lap, per se. That's so beautiful. Like I'm, I'm almost feeling like in my body a sense of empowerment being almost being reminded of the empowerment that sexuality can give you it's not just a place of pleasure or something you do in a bedroom it's a state of being and what what both of you are doing is is such powerful stuff how did you get to where you are like you know how 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 did you meet mm. I'll quickly share my background and then the meeting point with Aaron because it's a little bit of a journey. Uh, okay. It's been a lifelong journey for me. I actually started teaching at the age of five. <laughs> <laughs> I discovered my clitoris in a really conscious way, and I didn't know it was a clitoris back then. I just knew it was fantastic, made my body light up, and I decided my mission was to share this knowledge with anyone who wanted to hear it. <laughs> so all the other little five-year-olds uh, gathered around and my friend's basement and off I went to share this information. Of course, I got into a lot of trouble. And that's wow. when I realized, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's when I realized that the person who was angry and kind of saying horrible things to me and kicking me out of the house, that they wouldn't be that angry if they didn't, if they knew about this spot. So I had a very particular attitude from the get go. I was raised in a violent um, area of Canada. It's a native reservations that even the police didn't want to really go on to. And so there was a lot of abusive women. Our house was a shelter for women. I counseled all my teenage friends in their relationships. So it started very young. And then I myself had a near-death experience with violent rape um, and fully healed and recovered from that, which led to developing my psychosexual method, which has basically touched the lives of uh, I could say probably millions just because of my work has contributed to the works of other doctors and their published work has touched the lives of millions. So it's been an amazing journey. And then the touch point with Aaron, actually I'll let him kind of share his piece and then we can talk about the touch point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I also, when I look back at my childhood with the neighbors as well as with <laughs> those in, yeah, around the neighborhood having what I could say, I guess, would be like little discovery sex workshops. And then it was also <laughs> around five years old. <laughs> and uh, that didn't exactly have the same reaction um, for the, the parents. 
uh, of the neighbors. But I noticed that my parents, though, they didn't actually shame me. And um, if anything, they're, <laughs> they're sort of this, this healthy way, I think, that my family teased me. And so I just also never really, I, I found it very interesting that, that adults found sex to be something that was odd or that they kind of had to cover up. And so I almost had this own, like, whole fantasy world in my head, I think, when I was a young kid around that explained how I saw adults, especially at church, that um, my, my dad's a pastor and I grew up as a kid of a missionary, a missionary child in Portugal. And just seeing how people, when it came to that topic of sacred union, for some reason, I noticed that there was some tension or weirdness there. And yes, and so eventually over time, my passion has really been around massage and understanding uh, different ways that touch work. And this has been something that's helped me with sports injuries, also working on my mother's neck and my sports teams, different athletes. And so this then eventually started to then later become an interest of, well, what about if touch has this aspect of healing and aspect of just being able to provide relaxation and pleasure, then how does that go into the sexual area? And I actually didn't become sexual until I was quite late, uh, maybe around 19. And this is with even myself. And so I, I think that I never, I started to develop um, my own sexual practice as something that I didn't really have shame around. And plus that gave me longer periods of time to feel into my body. And, uh, and then at the same time later in life, I would say that mm, it was quite a long period of time that I had friends that were women, which really allowed me to listen to a lot of things about the relationships. And eventually when my, my last partner, uh, we had gotten married and moved in together. And this is about a 13 year relationship. And in that first year, this was in Denmark, uh, her, her body started to begin to kind of numb and feel that starting to head even towards like vaginal pain. And there really wasn't an explanation for it. And this then led down a whole path of discovery around psychosomatic practice, which also was paralleling with the cognitive science program that I was doing in Denmark, understanding how the psychology and the body are related and such things like the issues are in the tissues or embodiment, but really looking at like, well, what is the background that this has? And then what are the implications? And then from that, uh, really, I had about a year period where uh, people were spreading by word of mouth uh, to come and have sessions with me where I was working specifically with the different tissues of uh, dealing with things like trauma, vaginal pain, et cetera. And at the same time was really developing a, re uh, a very good and close professional relationship with a midwife in Denmark. And during that time period, she just said, you know, you really need to take some time, put down this knowledge into a book. And because this was something that I was also uh, practicing very much with my wife at the time, this allowed for, you know, what could I say? 
really seeing, okay, it's one thing to deal with trauma, but then how does this actually change the way that we embody our, our lovemaking when it's not for dealing with trauma, but actually diving into pleasure and optimization. And so then it was during that time period, I actually had a dream and had uh, <laughs> dreamed of Saida walking into a classroom and there was these desks uh, <laughs> of students and I get up from my desk and then she like sits on top of me and starts to move and we're teaching about this. And it was interesting because this was then later, or I guess now about last summer, where we were teaching this play shop and um, yeah, in, in Greece. And I had this very strong flashback <laughs> to this very vivid dream that I had also shared with Saida quite some time ago. And uh, yeah, so that's jumping a little bit ahead, but we can talk about our first touch point. Yes. If you so wish. Wow, my hair is standing, my hair is standing, thinking about this dream of yours. Both of your journeys are amazing. Just, I, I'm still taking it all in from the point of view of self-discovery because it's so unique that, you know, you you found someone in Denmark to give you that that turning point. And, and mm. in, um, in Saida's case, you know, it's almost as though, I don't know, you, you might disagree with me, but whatever scolding you got as a five-year-old probably almost spurred you on to carry on. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now we're getting the whole mental side of <laughs> and then <Yes>. the rebel. <laughs> yes, yes, that's that shaped your life today. I, I love hearing people's journeys. And and we stopped at the touch point. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, there were many crossovers. We've been both told individually about the other person by different people. And eventually it was a mutual client actually that uh, bridged the gap. She'd had a session with me for around three days. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I had actually mentioned to the stream as we had gotten to know each other during that time period. And she said, Oh my God, you actually first, she was the one that said, you really need to meet this person that I know and inside. And then I told her about the dream and then from there, she put us into contact. And I think one of the things that really we share or bring us together is this desire as we've been looking at, like, how is it that we can take this industry of sex education and really disrupt it mm -hmm. in the sense that we can bring actual sex positive, applicable, really basic embodied knowledge that everybody can begin to put into play and have an experience that will then create a journey as opposed to talking so much just about the journey without giving just the minimal kind of tools that are necessary to begin to turn one's intimate life into, again, a playground, a source of bonding yes. and something of beauty. Beautiful. Yes, destiny. Destiny <laughs> is is this player when it when it comes to what is what needs to be created for others. And I think both of you coming together. I mean, there's no doubt you're both very attractive as well. So in in terms of how you hold space for each other through through this pro pro process, I I just find it fascinating that you know you you found each other, similar mission, 
similar point, similar journey. And at this point in humanity's evolution, right, we keep talking about how it's 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 an inner growth process that we're all experiencing, experiencing the system ascension out there. Um, and a lot of it is through the body. So as I see it, you both are like, it's it's destiny in motion. Thank you so much for choosing this. Hmm. You're welcome. It's um it's the choiceless choice, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I really do believe that life has these like touch points and you can either say yes or no. It yeah. could have been very easy for either one of us to go whatever. Um, but there was also such devotion to calling that I think that's the part that became really obvious. And so last summer when we finally decided to formally team up and start creating um, I have already a pretty established platform, but Aaron had spent a lot of his time just working predominantly with clients and not really worrying about building a platform. So I'm like, we have to build your platform if we're going to like really get this message out there. Yeah, social media never really was something that. <laughs> so um, we've been on a mission and yeah. my community was really ripe. It was desiring. Uh, so a lot, one of my mottos is dare your desire and I teach a lot of things, including a lot of solo practice. But a lot of my community was like, well, how does this look in a partnered experience and expression? And I could talk about it, but I could never really model it. I hadn't found a single person in my industry that I felt comfortable modeling um, erotic partnership, for example. And so when I met Aaron, I was like, his energy is so clear and clean and so deeply embodied. It was a match to how I felt my energy was. And so it was a no brainer to introduce him to the community. Um, it's a predominantly female based community, but there are men, but they, they felt the women just felt incredibly safe, um, excited, turned on, of course, because he's gorgeous and his voice is very resonant. So that was um, enlivening for the community but also the, the frequency of integrity. And that was very important to me. Um, so that's basically the touch point of starting to do a lot of creation together. And now it feels like it's on an accelerated path. We've been invited into doing formal medical research. Um, we partnered up with, I think, with three different doctors now and um, are starting to have a lot of influence in those realms, including, as Aaron mentioned, the influence on a political realm in terms of departments of justice and having very impactful conversations with communities that are really trying to change gender-based violence and um, women who've had sexual trauma and having real discussions. But the discussions of possibility, not just pain. Yes. And so that's essentially the message for us is to re-invite or reinstill possibility and integrity and beauty into this entire arena. And again, in a very practical as well as embodied way, meaning that we're looking at and are building different types of protocols to deal with all types of issues that come up with intimacy that a lot of people and even the medical field have kind of written off as either stuff that just happens in the head or they maybe throw a pill, a hormone, a cream at, but doesn't really get down to addressing it either for a person to do it for themselves or in relation to their partner. And this is really where we've been focusing on 
building protocols on helping to create practices, educations that people can begin to implement into their everyday lives, as well as integrate into their lives. So that way, these type of things, as opposed to reoccurring, become parts of actually like motivation and fuel for other areas of their life. And, mm -hmm. and it's really been quite, uh, yes, quite a journey to be able to have the privilege to do this with somebody that, that also dares to really be out there, really embody, as well as, I mean, in some ways it's been really beautiful for me to see the way that Saida's work has also developed over the years and progressed and and i think one of the things that i've always loved about hearing her story is always this desire to fulfill some purpose and calling that seemed to be ever growing and calling her into deeper and deeper waters and there's just such a willingness to dive into that and um and yeah and to send feel that on like a daily basis as we then start to create content and really bring out as well as hearing her passion for and, and really kind of seeing a lot of the things and visions that I have, especially around like methodologies and suction sex and, and then a desire to, to share that. And it's just been really beautiful to, to see both someone that has so much wisdom, but also that level of selflessness and seeing the response and ripple effects that this has had um, as, as also as it splashes into her <laughs> community and has a very different kind of look and feel to it. Amazing. Yeah, I, I feel like the work that you've both been doing has had so much validation um, as you as you mentioned, you know the the victims of sexual trauma, the 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 practical purpose to which a lot of the wisdom that you both have amassed in your journey is now grounding, is now finding its feet. Um, and this leads me to my next question, which I feel like your journey has validated. The question was, how do you show up for what you do? You know, overcoming doubts, judgment, shame, which is rife in the space of sexuality. Yes. Uh, well, the example I gave you as a child where I was literally pulled yeah, exactly. by my ponytail. So that it was very rough handling. I was, uh, you know, dragged up a set of staircase by my hair and then literally thrown off a front porch. And all I could think about was, wow, she wouldn't be that angry if she actually knew where that spot was. So I inherently have this attitude where, I understand that the majority of the world is confused and and possibly hurt around the subject matter. I myself have a very healthy orientation to it, and it is my sacred duty, therefore, to keep showing up. And the way that that keeps being affirmed is every single day I receive either an email or direct messaging or even a private public um thing where someone will write an entire post about my work thanking me because it's the only thing that's worked with their sexual trauma or whatever. And so every day I'm, I get reflection from people who have been touched. And I think that's the thing we never understand is how many lives we actually touch and transform when we're really doing our deep work in the world. And that's what keeps me going. Mm -hmm. Everyone's doubts or shaming or whatever, it's just like water off my back. I don't pay attention to it because 
I just see that as the collective illness around the topic. And I do a lot of solo practice. I'm always coming back to my own radiance, my own groundedness, lucidity, and uh, clarity that this is very, very sacred and important Mm -hmm. message. And so in that sense, maybe I've buffered myself from that. I definitely had my team years ago set up a filter on my email So I don't see any of the hate mail because I used to also get a lot of hate mail, Uh, but I don't see any of that anymore and I don't worry about it. And uh, and I think that's actually very important as well when it is to create a really good team and community that's supportive so that you can stay on mission and keep inspiring instead of falling, you know, victim to whatever projections are happening. In terms of myself, I think with my, my upbringing, being both <laughs> having uh, parents that could tease and be sarcastic and actually a very healthy way and has built a certain amount of resilience of, <laughs> of character that I don't really respond so much to shame <laughs> or, or guilt. I find it rather, rather humorous and, and something to be played with. And I, I think that the this is even maybe in some ways influenced some of the practices that I teach with partners and, and also bring even into my own relations of, of playing a bit with teasing. And like one of the things that we do is uh, talking about like uh, confession. So for instance, most people, and especially I think this is the other part that I would say is having as well a religious background, I have both this very strong reverence for sex and sexuality, but at the same time, because of the playfulness, I think that there's a healthy amount of irreverence as well. And and finding kind of the dance between the the two of those has led to things such as like, for instance, when dealing with shame and guilt, one of the things that we will bring to people is this setup of what we call the the confession game. Now, confession normally works that you know you state your sins, the other person then tells you how wrong it was, you then do some uh, act of penance, and then you can go back to sinning and the cycle starts over again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, in terms of how this works, is that we have, when we confess, we have this kind of feeling of shame and a physical action of hiding things in our life. And so then when we go and let's say we would tell our partner something that maybe is calling us into shame and this could be something during let's say a sexual act or it could be mental fantasy or it could be that you ended up leaving the hot water on when you left the house whatever it might be it can be playful this is the idea though is that you then go in state the thing that causes some shame so it's going to actually feel a bit like a confession and the other person really pulls it out of you to get like you to state what it is but then as opposed to shaming you on it, they actually either celebrate you on it or at least relate to you in a way that's like, that's completely normal. And let's say maybe it's even something that is of a sexual nature and your partner has the space that it could be something that even turns them on. They could, they could, uh, as opposed to giving you penance, tell you that you have to even embrace it a little bit more. So let's say that um, you ended up 
leaving the house and i don't know the image that's coming to my mind right now is that your partner forgets to wear panties now that sounds <laughs> a little bit extreme or or maybe something had happened around that and so then their penance is that they actually now as opposed to just going around the house have to go and do an errand like dressed a little bit sexier than normally they would and kind of push that edge and then and then come back home and then as opposed to feeling ashamed about it actually step into and the whole idea is the ability to bring this part that we had some shame over into the open, have the ability to be celebrated and then allow what was once something that led us into seclusion and hiding into bonding, connection and openness. And so these are kind of the ways that we then work with, not just with clients, but even in our own lives when it comes to dealing with building a very robust nervous system to deal with all these different aspects. And I think this is kind of what is a very important shift here as well, as opposed to just focusing on overcoming shame and overcoming pain and trauma and anger and fear. Instead, our work is really helping bring people into optimization. How do we start to transmute these things and actually bring ourselves into a more secure state? I was looking at one of your posts that you wrote about love as being the center point. And when you felt out of balance, you would feel that you'd have to readjust. And now you expand that center point. And this is actually an important teaching because we look at the nervous system as if you have these green zones. And then as you go into intimacy and sexual experience, you're going to get an opportunity to be with in a healthy relationship. And if it is securely attached, meaning that you can expand into the dynamics of lust and the neuroticism of romance and actually begin to develop a healthier, larger green system, when you go and you push out those edges and then share reflections without going into the red zone, and then as you sink and come back into a place of stability, you'll notice that that green zone or that center point of love has started to expand. And from there, we can start to really shift things that had been not types as who we are. A lot of times we categorize people as narcissist or having particular attachment patterns or whatever labels that we want to have, even with the five love languages, as opposed to thinking, okay, these are behavioral tendencies and we can start to expand them, play with them, help develop a healthier relationship with them so that they don't define us, but instead help us know where our strengths are, our weaknesses, and ultimately become more robust human beings in ourselves, but also in partnership. Oh my goodness, that was so beautiful. I'm taking it all in. Oh, I feel so blessed that I get to have this conversation with you both. Honestly, that was so healing. That was, ah, thank you. That is, that is so real. And it feels so difficult to do because for some reason that, that center feels like it's walled off. Um, and and you you do need that that encouragement to take those steps to get closer and closer to it. Amazing, and that perspective as well from, you know, um, looking at shame as something to overcome, to transmuting it, to playing with it almost in play. That that is great stuff. 
I'm going to start practicing that myself. I'm sorry, I'm going to copy that. Thank you very much, Aaron. <laughs> it's the confession game. Right? Yeah. But it's also at the root of any deep, powerful, sexual, spiritual lineage is the capacity to live a full life, have all the range of emotional experience and sexual experience, all the experience, and to utilize that which is, say, more negative or challenging as a source of energy to empower your growth development and accelerated evolution. This has been part of the human development and psyche for thousands and thousands of years. We're just kind of bringing a modern touch point to it and making it accessible to the ordinary person who's not necessarily interested in, you know, a 50 year lineage practice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's, there's a there's a depth to to sexuality that you know you've got to introduce in a gradient and that brings yes. me to the next question actually at the back of all the learnings and those that you've taught what are your definitions of sex now do you still stick to the clinical definition or it, does it mean something else to you <laughs> i don't know that i ever agreed with the clinical definition <laughs> my experience of um sex, the act of sex and having sex. So I'm being very specific because sexuality is a a massive spectrum. But that definition for me has always been a way in which I connect with, I'm going to call it the divine. And even if it was a quote unquote one night stand, I was very clear that I would do everything in my power to bring all of myself to the experience so that it would become uh, an offering And that always seemed like the most real and true expression of my sexuality. So there's always been, yes, a very erotic, deep, wild and raw side to it, but it always had to be somehow sacred and potent. And that doesn't mean like married to only one person forever and ever, because I've I've had different marriages and different partnerships in my life. Um, But it definitely means the attitude at which I bring to the act of sex. So for me, it's an opportunity to both express and witness, uh, I guess, God, if you will, that that divine presence in another person. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, heightened pleasure is what we are all meant to be experiencing if our systems were actually optimized. So sex is one of the most direct ways to taste that which is in our potential for every single person. And in, in a sense, that's heaven on earth, if you want to call it that. I would say that the way that we have kind of been working with sexuality and helping people has been, and it has a twofold part. So I very much, the nerdy side of me, likes all of the anatomy and actually <laughs> understanding how biomechanically we can start to reorient ourselves around creating sensation in the body with one another because we have this kind of conceptual model of bigger, harder, faster. And so being able to understand both the kind of, I guess what you could say, the more anatomical understandings around sex 
is very important because we can biomechanically begin to correct a lot of behavioral things that we do, such as how we sit, the way that we breathe. And I've actually kind of trained ourselves to do the opposite of what our body naturally would be doing as children. And um, that's especially looking at like the pelvic floor, that relationship to the genitals, and then the way that our bodies can come together and move that way. So clinically, I like that definition, but at the same time, I feel that it has certain limitations, especially as we start to look at sex as a, as a act that, or an interaction between bodies that actually generates a particular type of energy, the same way that when you eat food or listen to music or behold art and beauty or read a book. And there's many ways to nourish ourselves. And so when we look at act as something that nourishes and creates energy and actually builds a bio electromagnetic charge and sphere around our body, and this translates into charisma as well as different aspects of spirituality and we quit separating spirit from sex as well as the brain or the psyche from the body and understanding that these things are one and that sex is actually a very important part of the human character if we look at health well-being relationships holistically and so this is an area that, especially in personal development, as well as relationships, has not really been, in my opinion, very well explored um, in terms as something that is a cultural under, in terms of like on the cultural level of understanding, because most of our educations, again, around sex are teaching us what not to do. It's teaching us either to wait until we meet the right person, or it's teaching us that we need to protect ourselves from certain STDs or from getting pregnant too soon. And all these things are very important, but it's similar to dealing with trauma, for instance. It's very important to come in touch with all of the negative things that have happened or could go wrong, but that's sort of like avoiding death per se. Instead, we also need to complete the rest of that journey around sex, which is how do we begin to integrate the erotic? How do we begin to integrate pleasure into our daily lives in a way that is going to energize us and lets us step into this birthright of what pleasure can actually be, which is a fuel of life that can then begin to incept and actually spread its fingers and bring nourishing power creativity to our professional lives to our relational lives to our physical health etc cetera, etc cetera. amazing i'm just envisioning you know one day searching wikipedia and hearing these definitions the integrations that what you both have done on on wikipedia actually seeing it there um, as a an interpretation, an embodied interpretation of what the sexual act actually is, instead of you know just some level of penetration. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so great. And 
leading to, you know, the way you both have um, intellectualized sex, you have embodied sex, you have a, a partnership around an activity that is so intimate, and yet you have to look at it professionally. How do you maintain a partnership doing this work? I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of vulnerability needed around it as well. Over to you. Um, well, for me, the, the first thing is the relationship with myself. It's just really important to, to have the kind of cultivation practice where I take full ownership of my own needs, desires, emotions, thoughts. And then I bring uh, my vulnerable, transparent reveals, but without putting myself in a victim position. So it's been a very big solo practice for me to engage with another human that has enough sexual, erotic, and emotional intelligence to actually meet me on that level hasn't happened really before. So it's been very exciting to notice that actually sovereignty practice, the practice of really being our own best partner and having deep love with ourselves and deep erotic connection with ourselves and then bringing that as almost like a gourmet offering uh, to uh, another and experiencing the meeting point of those things has been quite extraordinary. And it's been um, a very accelerated learning because when there's no gaslighting, when there's deep respect, when there's full, say, uh, home base in both individuals, then it makes almost for an adventurous, delicious um, exploration of the entire landscape that's available to be explored without forming any kind of strange little boxes around the experiences. And I think that's probably the most revolutionary aspect of my experience. Love it. It, it does take a certain amount of self-work. You know, you, you really have to have owned so much of yourself to be able to show up for this every day. Um, and I'm sure now it's, you know, it's not, it's not even something you think about. It's just so embodied. Yes. Thanks. And what about you, Aaron? How, how, does, how do you maintain this partnership? I think I feel that being around another person that also really enjoys their own company is already sort of creating, you know, the, the if you want to look at it from, and I don't know if your listenership has uh, somewhat of a religious background, I believe, is it, what is the main religion where Malaysia. in Malaysia? So is it, Malaysia, a, is it it's, it's Islam. It's Islam. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the second religion is Chris Christianity but across all of Southeast Asia, I think it's a mix of Islam and Christianity. These would be the two main religions. However, it's very secular. <laughs> well, in both, in both <laughs> of those religions, and I think also just kind of even for those who live a secular life, this concept of that the, the body is a temple, and if so temples are made to celebrate God or to celebrate uh, life. And this state of both kind of creating a celebration inside oneself has been really healthy for me to meet inside another person as well, because then 
as opposed to, yes, having to be constantly focused on vulnerability in the sense of, oh, let's deal with these blocks and put out these fires and create possibility. Instead, it's been really much a lot more around giving permission to have fun and be playful and and actually go into a the good side of what we'd call that childlike state and um and then to actually be creating work from that place has been the challenge as opposed to oh let's no pain no gain let's work harder and crank this and this out it's like no actually let's give ourselves the space to really be in a state of pleasure, arousal, and enjoyment, and then stream knowledge and wisdom into content from there. Yeah, that's probably like been the most amazing piece. Mm. And recognizing when you're coming into creation from the mind, it takes so much longer. Yeah. We literally created the Section 6 course. It felt like it two days or something mm -hmm. because there's been so much playfulness and embodiment and clarity and, and also dynamism with clients and seeing what works and doesn't work that, that that's been very, very uh, amazing to create such potent material so quickly. And then to instantly, we had about 150 people raise their hands to test the program. We only chose a handful of those people, but just the response of it as well is part of that magnetism that arises from that playful orientation. Mm. Well, it really shows through your Instagram post, guys. It really has <laughs> really <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I wanted to say that I think is worth saying is wherever we have traveled, and wherever we have stayed, whether it is an Airbnb or with close friends or family, uh, what's been extraordinary for me as an external reflection is to have a complete stranger say, the two of you are such a blessing. You can come back anytime. Wish you were living here all the time. And to recognize the healing that can happen on a community level when there is this playful, harmonious, creative energetic that's happening within the relational field itself yeah that's that's great okay the you know um the question i was going to ask you next was what is the core reason of the sexual disconnect that you know mm -hmm. so many of us experience today but at the same time at the back of the conversation we've been having I'm curious about some of the challenges that you face um, when when people show up at, for instance, the the, the suction sex courses. Um, you know, especially men, because I think it's a huge challenge for a man to be present at one of these courses, and it does take someone who uh, is, has put themselves in a space of, you know, I I want to learn. Um, I don't think I know everything. And these are these are powerful shifts that someone experienced. So, yeah, what what do you feel is the core reason of sexual disconnect, and what are some of the challenges that that you you've seen with people that come through? Such a deep question. I would say the the main issue globally would be how consensual reality has formed our direct relationship to our own erotic intelligence. By that, I mean we have changed sexuality into a currency or 
yeah. something that we use for bargain or something that's cheap and transactional or something that we actually do instead of something that we actually are. So we're coming from the place that you are a sexual being, whether or not you choose to act upon any turn on or any desire is your choice and your con is a conscious choice. Um, I think that's the, the biggest harm that we have done is the consensual reality that, for example, the act of self-pleasure is dirty, bad, sinful, awful, evil, is probably at the core of all of the problems because now you have a neurotic experience of your own body and manifesting pleasure and love for yourself without any external a need for a partner or validation or any kind of circumstance. So that's been the biggest thing in terms of the work, say with section sex workshops, I've been actually quite impressed at who turns up all of the men who have come, they have recognized in themselves. I am already a great lover. I love sex. I love my partner. I just want to have more great sex. <laughs> and they're coming at it not like something's broken or wrong with them. They're coming to the class going, just like, I want to learn more because clearly there's something more to learn. It looks like fun. And if I can help my partner have higher levels of pleasure, I want that. And so that's the particular, I think, avatar who's attracted to mm -hmm. our message. We're not really having to convince people um, to try it. They're coming already curious and willing and playful. So uh, we haven't seen. And yes, in the past, teaching men was a very difficult. It's hard to get them in the room. But once they're in the room, they're so grateful that they're there because they realize how much they do know, how natural it is for them to have a sexuality and how beautiful it is for them to have an erotic intelligence and to harness that. So those are my thoughts on that question. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just looking forward to having these men dotted all over the world, you know, spreading that energy everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's really special when as a global community, we can uh, come together in a healthy way, res really deeply respect each other, respect our own bodies. Um, I think as I said, if we could change this attitude that sex is something we do and it's a currency into mm -hmm. something that we are and we get to respond to, when there's arousal in a space, we don't have to do anything about it. This is liberation. So now you can feel the erotic turn on, have your integrity in, in place, feel that enlivenment in your body. And then if it's not appropriate to express it, you can actually use that energy and put it in your work and create something spectacular or bring it into your just your friendships or any other facet of life to enliven it. And that's really, I think, one of the most important things that we're doing with this work is normalizing arousal. I'm actually wanting to write a clinical application for arousal and pleasure because it is something that's very challenging, especially in the medical profession, to see the value outside of the stigma and because we don't have the value outside of the stigma it's something that's left unaddressed and it, it's it's how an optimized human being needs to function so the work with aaron is and the research we're doing together and the collaborative projects that we get to contribute together is 
really groundbreaking on that level because we're really looking at, well, what is that clinical application of arousal and pleasure and how can it help optimize everybody's life? Brilliant. Thank you. And what about you, Erin? What, what, what do you feel is some of the core reasons of the sexual disconnect? It probably is very similar. Well, I'll reflect it from a slightly different perspective. Okay. Uh, in terms of why it is that we have this disconnect, I think it's, it's, I believe that we have sort of a desire to control things that we see can be beyond ourselves or expand us beyond our current states. What I've noticed with clients is that where they believe their greatest fears will be dealing with the pains and traumas of the past, their greatest fears actually come into embracing their true potential, the ability to deserve it, uh, to not feel ashamed of it, as well as the, um, the ability to trust that desire and pleasure and arousal is actually something that can be trusted and not to lead someone astray. And so then if we don't trust our sexuality, if we don't trust our pleasure, if we don't trust the erotic, if we don't trust our desires, then we have to form a disconnect and create a separation between in these false dichotomies between our mind and our body when our body is actually when our mind is embodied we create a separation between spirituality and sexuality as opposed to understanding that there is sacred union to be had there and like any other practice that one might do let's say even religiously well what is then the rituals and the rites and the importance of sacred union and to bridge that gap and to go where there once was disaccord disconnect and bring in resonance and bring in the ability to bring harmony to these areas and then how does that actually become embodied all the way from the bedroom to the conversations that we have in community because there needs to be not this separation but a congruence between both the love we describe ideologically but the love that we embody sexually Amazing. Amazing. I mean, these two perspectives are so powerful. I'm just sitting here and, you know, thinking to myself, I think this is probably the most words that I have placed around sex that are not just about positions. You know, this, this <laughs> depth is... <laughs> conversation is over. <laughs> <laughs> And that's how it should be. You know, the, the conversation around all of this should be so fluid because you've 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 felt the the change in you. You've 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 totally not 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 just embodied this, you've actually made it a a a practice, a a reverence, a a, a syllabus almost in your in your day-to-day -day life. It's like brushing your teeth that it's it's so beautiful to hear, it's so nourishing. Ah, thank you. I, I, I know I keep saying this throughout this conversation, but it's just revolutionary to me. And I think anyone who listens to this, 
and, and, and my end of the world is also going to feel the, the same way. Okay, is it possible to have a sexual relationship without the emotional piece? Is it possible? Um. <laughs> well, uh, possible we or have desirable? To, or... <laughs> it's, it's definitely possible, yeah. but okay. we have to be very careful how we, um, what we're calling the emotional piece, mm, okay? Yes. Because you could have lust and then you're feeling just excitement and joy in your heart. You're not feeling necessarily romantically inclined, but you're excited, you're open, you're feeling friendly. Those are emotions as well. You, you could also have... Um, so is there an, ever a moment where you're completely shut down emotionally and being sexual? I don't know that that's possible because even when you're shut down, you're shut down. That's an emotional state. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a state of being numb or a state of being contracted. So we have to be very careful like, with that, the phrase of that. But I think what is mean, meant here is can we have a erotic experience without it being a romantic um, orientation? Or even yes. can yes. we have an emotional experience mm -hmm. during a sexual one that doesn't have to follow the romantic narrative that we normally associate with having feelings and sex in the mix? Exactly. So um, one of the stories that Aaron likes me to share, it's from my youth when I was first exploring sexuality. I think it'll be a, a very useful example here. So when I started to be sexual, my parents had kind of, they have a very deep, loving, passionate connection with each other. They're sexual beings, but they're really into lovemaking. And my mother kind of took me aside. She said, look, sex is amazing, but it's way better when you feel connected. And my only act of rebellion then as a teenager would go, fine, I'm going to have sex without any kind of feelings and it won't be lovemaking. Like as just a way to like rebel against this thing that my parents were trying to, you know, give me. So my first few experiences, I was really clear, like, this is just really sexual. I don't want to really open up emotionally or relationally to the person. I just want to feel what is it like to express myself sexually. And so this incident happened where I met this young man, we had an experience together, we started kind of seeing each other. And the first few times it was just sex, there wasn't a thought in my head, a romantic thought in my head. I did respect him. I respected myself, but there wasn't a building of deep relating with this person. It was very, very much a sexual connection. And then one night I went to his place, we had sex, but it left me feeling really different. I'd never had a feeling like that before. My whole body was tingling. The area around my heart and chest were really like almost blooming. And it was it took sex to a whole new level. I said, I don't know what that is, but whatever that is, I want more of that. And he said, oh, well, I just made love with you. And it blew me open because I was like, what, wait, what, what's going on here? And that's when I realized I don't, even if it's a one night stand, do not want to engage sexually without actually opening my heart. It's not that I'm going to create a story or a forever after kind of, thing or that we need any of these promises, but I am going to engage my heart because I win, I benefit from the experience and it actually nourishes and heightens the connection for both people. So that's my uh, female <laughs> perspective. 
And I do know a lot of my clients cannot be sexual without the guarantee that this is going to be their life partner and that there's deep romantic connection. So there's also a really wide spectrum when it comes to answering this particular question. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I resonate with both perspectives and I think a certain degree of sexual exploration, personal exploration will will allow you to identify that yourself. It's just the, you know, no one wants to feel the pain from something like that. And quite often the pain comes from our own limited beliefs, mm-hmm. I think. Yes. Yes. I think the source of almost all, here's the, the crux, because you read the book Desire, so you know my yeah. feelings on it. I did a TEDx talk on Desire, so the, I have kind of a different way I approach Desire. But here's the crux. Are, can we deeply and fully and thoroughly love and accept and rejoice in our desires, yet completely release any expectations? Mm-hmm. This is the spiritual work around sexuality. And it's a profound piece um, around sexuality that I think anyone willing to inquire in that direction will be well served. Because then what you're doing is you're not inherently saying my desires are bad and wrong. I can't have them. I can only have A, B, and C because I want an A, B, and C type relationship. Instead, you can have the full spectrum of desire without the expectation that all of it will be fulfilled. And you bring the fuel of that desire into the connection and creativity without mandating um, how it should look. This is a, a more mature advanced skill set but one that's very important to consider i agree yeah it is it is awareness i think it's an awareness through the whole practice and taking ownership for it all but yes it does need a lot of a lot of personal work in that process before embarking on it and what do you think erin (laughs) so if we look at the thing about possibility and we just spoke about the ways that we can create disconnect inside ourselves i think we have one the act of sex we're looking at two we have the different emotions that will tend to come up during a sexual experience such as it could be anger and pain are typical ones it could be fear as well as anxiety that have a tendency to come up. Also, there can be guilt and shame. And then another one uh, is, as you'd said, actually said that there's no non-emotion because not having an emotion is one. And this shows up typically as either psychologically boredom around sex Mm -hmm. or physically as numbness. So again, we're looking at both that mind-body connection or the embodied mental aspect of the emotions that will tend to come up. And then what I think happens is if we actually meet the perfect person, you know, or the one that just kind of gets us, and that could either be just in the act of just physically enjoying it, or it could be as well in the act of being able to express and be vulnerable around these emotions and that then all of a sudden these things can change into joy and bliss, relaxation and calmness, excitement as, and, um, and being vulnerable and exposed in intimacy as well as the ability to then 
move this, then we start to look at actually what happens is attachment patterns because we become very bonded to this person and become, oh my God, they're the solution that I have. And so we think that therefore the narrative must follow that we go into, well, how do we start to bond? And I think if we look at, if we have a tendency to be a person who is uh, adapts like avoidant type of behavior when sex happens, this will reflect in the way that we actually express ourselves sexually. A lot of times that meme can be keeping a lot of space between the chest or even only having sex while you don't make eye contact or refusing to have uh, a heart or even a mouth to mouth connection. Or this then also starts to go into that emotional space when maybe it's that you don't allow yourself to get in touch with certain emotions. And so you have a tendency to maybe even dissociate in different ways. So that way, then you don't have to form or feel the closeness of attachment. Or maybe it's the opposite, where you need to feel that sense of unity, that sense of oneness, and the thought of even having something different than that creates a tremendous amount of anxiety in your body. And so then you can't have it, but you also can't trust it. And this then, of course, has a whole area in terms of the emotionality where you almost push your emotions onto the other person and make it into their responsibility. And if we get beyond even that kind of male and female perspective, if you just from an experiential place, where is it that you need to be opened primarily? Is it that you feel you actually need to be penetrated and allow something to come in through that chest space in your body? And then maybe you're doing the penetration from your genital area, or maybe it's the reverse that you feel that you're actually penetrating from the heart and then receiving penetration from the genitals. And how does this kind of happen? And a lot of times now, if we were to look, I guess, kind of traditionally or stereotypically, we would say that, that females have a tendency to actually penetrate from the heart space. And so some of these mysteries can start to become a little bit like, or tendencies that we see in the bedroom start to explain themselves. So why is it that we always hear uh, after sex, let's say the guy ejaculates and then he needs to roll away. And the woman really wants to have his attention, have that like chest to chest contact, wants to cuddle, wants to be able to speak. Well, we think that this is because the man, you know, is just maybe a jerk and doesn't have any like real emotional IQ, but we could also look at it this way and go, ah, well, in the same way that just having one's genitals touched immediately can cause a negative reaction in the body, let's say, especially for a woman who's been touched too soon, creates shutdown. For a man to actually be penetrated and touched in that heart area too soon, if that hasn't been gently opened throughout the act of sex, can feel just as much intrusive. And so developing a healthy congruence and harmony between especially the heart, the stomach, the genitals, the eyes, and the mouth. These are all areas that we can start to create a bridge and understanding of the, where does the sexual relationship come in, in terms of how it's embodied, what kind of emotions start to arise, and then understanding we have these kind of attachment behavioral tendencies that will come up. 
that it's going to either create these expectations in another person, or we know it's going to have these expectations inside ourselves. And having a healthy relationship, knowing that it's not just sort of a predestined path if one of these things happens, will give us more options, will give us a healthier way to be able to kind of understand these mechanisms inside ourselves, be more forgiving of ourselves as well as others, and again, get back to developing a very healthy, robust nervous system around these different types of embodiments, emotions, and ways of relating. And that starts again with a journey of finding a great sexual practice inside oneself, developing that confidence and knowledge of what type of things pull your emotions, turn you on physically in terms of actual blood flow and arousal, and what kind of relationship it is that you actually want. And then this becomes something that you can better share with a partner. That's beautiful. That's, that's so deep, so intimate, and so real at the same time. It, it got me thinking about something I read in the past, you know, uh, where it says that for a lot of couples... Um, whether you're in a relationship or not, apparently if you are sexually congruent, you know, if you have a great sex life or whatever the definition of that is for, for both of you, um, it actually allows them to get past some of the emotional blocks that they have. Mm-hmm. And I, I think is that intimacy that you speak about, that that connection across those four parts of the body. Yes. That's what intimacy means. It's the Latin intimare means to impress upon, to leave an impression. And so if we begin to think about intimacy as the impressions we leave in our relationships, whether we stay together forever or just for a moment, that's what, what intimacy is. And it's also kind of the beauty and power of impact that we can have, which I think kind of leads a little bit into, well, what about promiscuity versus being only with one person for your entire life. Yeah. Powerful. And what do you think about pro- pro- promiscuity, Aaron? Is that necessary <laughs> for someone's sexual journey? Well, I guess if promiscuity is defined as having a sexual experience outside of being with the one person that you're forever going to be with from beginning until end of your life, eternity before as well as after, then I guess, yes, promiscuity is needed. And I would say so because I'm speaking about it in the sense of just even exploring oneself, which is something that most people would say Mm -hmm. this is wrong to do. So actually developing a healthy, robust understanding of yourself sexually, emotionally and relationally all in relation to sexuality meaning the ability to explore the world and sense the world not just with your five senses but also with your sexual organs as giving you information if that is termed promiscuity meaning that you have a connection to the environment with this part of your body then absolutely yes now if that promiscuity means that you need to be with 10 to 100 people or whatever number it might be, then I would answer, no, it does not. Got it. And what about you, Saida, before I sum this up in terms of promiscuity? A couple of thoughts coming up there. Yes, so the the question I think was, is 
promiscuity needed for sexual exploration. Mm. Yes, and, yes. And, and yes and no, no and yes. <laughs> so the same thing. The thing that we're attempting to do with multiple partners is to actually discover ourselves. So mm-hmm. if you remember in the book Desire, I write about five evolutionary stages of Eros. Yeah. The stage three is where we must explore. How we explore, though, is really up to mm-hmm. each individual. And I don't believe that having, say, a handful of all these different experiences, but they're all kind of disconnected and crappy and all just kind of all informed by the same pornography, it's not actually going to develop us mm-hmm. much sexually. We would develop much further and more quickly if we had a really good solo practice, but actually paid attention to our interceptive awareness, what's going on inside the body, our somatic awareness, our perceptive awareness of the environment around us and really developing that skill set, the emotive awareness, like what's arising if I touch this tissue or that tissue or move this way or that way. We'll learn far more um, in a solo practice. And I also have to say, because I myself did explore with multiple partners in my lifetime, I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's how we choose to approach it. So if for one person they want to explore, but they actually don't feel comfortable doing it with a lot of people, you have yourself, you're meant to be your own best lover. And for those who feel like, actually, I, I do feel like I want to explore a little bit different people, but you're doing it from a place of learning and growth and deep respect of yourself Mm. and other, then I think it can be of a benefit. But if it's just purely sex to relieve, you know, a little sexual itch and, or to prove that you're good looking or that somehow you're worthy of this or that, or that you have some kind of sexual power, then I don't think it's going to serve you much. You're going to end up feeling pretty empty um, Mm. at the end of the day. I mean, if your promiscuous diet leads you to eating a lot of junk food, yes. as opposed to having, you know, a well-balanced uh, diet with a lot of different nutrients yes. that balance you out, then I think that answers the question of variety versus quality. And yes. what are we de- defining really as promiscuity? Exactly. If promiscuity is just a lot of the same bad. And of course, it's going to, even if you have it with 100 different people, it's going to lead you in a much different direction than yes. having a variety of quality. Exactly. So true. Yes, that that is that is the, the, the basis to it all. I, I love that that grounding summary. Um, okay. Saida, I have a question for you, actually, around the concept of sacred prostitution, sacred prostitutes concubines yes. um what what are your thoughts around that with regards to the concept of promiscuity i know that they are two vastly different things but what 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 do you yeah. share with regards to that well it's an ancient art they say it's one of the oldest um uh jobs let's say that's existed in humanity and <laughs> and in the old days we didn't separate the deeply sacred with the sexual mm-hmm. in the old days in say the Aphrodite temples, the men who had just been to war had to go to those temples and be loved back into wholeness by a high priestess of the sexual and love arts so that he would be then safe 
for the community that he would return to, meaning a man who's experienced a huge shutdown in his heart to the level where he has to take someone else's life and sees his friends die and all these things happening. There's a lot of healing that needs to uh, go into his body and his being and his psyche to return him into a very healthy, dynamic, wholesome person. And so in those days, they understood that this was a sacred duty, a sacred art. Um, and the practitioner was very well trained in what she was doing. There were even rituals to, it's called return to virginity. She would do an entire like process of clearing her herself emotionally and energetically, etc. after each person she would serve to return to kind of this quote unquote pure state or just have her own energy in her system. This is a high level, um, very integrous practice that we've lost touch with. There are mm -hmm. currently very few, but there are still incredibly trained people in the world who serve either whether they're doing sex surrogacy work mm -hmm. or they're working with more dynamic type of sexual coaching that have a really important role to play because we are so wounded as a population mm -hmm. and there are no more temples that we can go to and heal and, and be more integrated erotically and in the area of love. So those individuals um, if they have a really good practice, their sound of mind, and they understand very deep self-care, they're not, in my uh, estimation, promiscuous in the sense that they're not actually doing this for their own uh, selfish needs. This is a uh, service that they're doing, their life's work. And it's um, those type of practitioners, like I said, are rare, but they do exist. They are important. And I have seen the validity. I have sent clients to these types of practitioners and the, the amount of healing that has happened just for that person, whether or not they engage in, in a full act of sex, that's usually not always you know, part of it, but just being with a healthy guide in the erotic landscape that can orient us can be incredibly impactful. But again, ethically, they're just not enough very sound practitioners in the world. So for those practitioners, I don't consider them promiscuous. I think they're professional. They're very well trained. They know how to take care of themselves. But it can be rare to find. Though. It's very, very rare to find. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I think, I think that does cause a lot of confusion, especially amongst women who are embarking on this journey and they don't fully understand, you know, with the whole divine feminine thing as well, the, 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 the difference between how they are actually feeling and this, this level of sacred prostitution. And, and you're right. It does. It is, is a, it's, they're very few, they're very few out there today, but wow, that existed. Thank you so much, Varun, for having us. It's been an exceptional time here. Oh, it's been wonderful. Thank you. We wanted to finish this with your final question, which was, what's one word that can encompass the quality of our work? For me, it would be revolutionary, which the R, the first R is in brackets, evolutionary, because it's actually responding to the needs as they evolve, both in the individual and the collective. Revolutionary, because it is asking for us to think outside the box, innovate, and make some daring choices that can really bring more pleasure into our lives. I love that. <laughs> for me, it would be art. 
because if you look at any piece of art, it is more than the sum of its parts. And this is the same thing with sex. We do not want to just be teaching people techniques, which is what people think they're getting, but we're actually helping them create an erotic intelligence to be able to create an actual experience that can nurture their lives, their relationships, and their overall health. Thanks so much, Dr. Saida and Aaron, for your time today to record this podcast. I certainly learned so much and I'm sure my listeners have as well. If anyone would like to find out how to contact Dr. Saida or Aaron, their Instagram details are in the podcast caption. Please do check out the Instagram page for the amazing content. It is nothing like porn and you learn about sex in such a beautiful and conscious way. Thank you again.